Welcome to the MBUK podcast. In this series, we'll be looking back through some of the moments that helped shape the sport of mountain biking. From the pioneers that paved the way, bikes that broke the tech boundaries, and the events that pushed the very limits of the sport, to the racers who will be forever cemented in our memories for their antics on and off the track. We'll even do our best to predict how things will look in the future. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your mates. And if you have time, please give us a review. How's it going, guys? It's time for another MBUK podcast with me, Tom Marvin, and my co-host in every episode, Rob Weaver. Joining us in the studio is Luke Marshall. He is a tech supremo, a racer extraordinaire, and one of our favorite, favorite people we work with. I forgot the word for people we work with. <laughs> Colleague. Colleagues. <laughs> Good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got a lot to live up to now. Uh, well, apparently that's a big hype. I'm not quite sure. Uh... I'm the hype man. It's downhill from here on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this episode, we are talking about the moments that we will never forget. Mountain biking is full of incredible moments from racing to events to bits you see on your TV to YouTube channels to all sorts of things like that. This is such a shit introduction. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Oh my god, I started trying to think too hard. Don't make it too long. I've made it too long. But you don't need to because yeah. you can start again. In this episode, we're talking about the moments we'll never forget. That's very short. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Try <laughs> again. I'm not, I, I was waiting for more. Sorry. <laughs> In this episode of the podcast, we are talking about the moments from mountain biking that we will never forget. Now, we've all watched mountain biking for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, and there are certainly some standout points along the way. Rob, I think you wanted to kick this one off with what I think is probably a really deserved thing. It's very recent, but incredibly cool. Yes. So the amazing Rachel Atherton winning her 40th World Cup downhill event. She's an absolute goat. Isn't she? And by that, you mean... Greatest great of all time. Yeah, exactly. Not the four-legged creature, <laughs> no. because that would just be me. <laughs> it's a bit weird, though, isn't it? <laughs> so it's her... It was... It was um, I don't think it was her first race coming back from uh, after being a mum, but it was the first one where she maybe put a bit more training in and came in with what seemed like really low expectations uh, and managed to win, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I don't think anyone sort of really... I think some people kind of expected it because she's such a legend of the sport, but also like, I guess since she stopped racing, you know, through motherhood and injury and things like that like the women's racing has kind of evolved and grown and it's become super super competitive and so seeing her come back i, I would interrupt you. i don't oh. think it was expected but it was unsurprising yeah for sure i think that's probably the way to describe it like i don't think anyone would come back and expect her just to come out for the first race of the year smash the victory no but it's rachel atherton it's not surprising that she and did it's it. Quite a tricky track as well, Lenzerheide. Yeah, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. It's an awkward, short, intense track. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, brutal, top to bottom. Really, there's no place to rest. There's no place to catch a breather. It's just full gas all the way. And I and she smashed it. Like qualified second, semi final was second. Stepped it up, one of the final. She had like a solid weekend. But yeah, expected is a, is a big leap, but not. Surprising. I mean, this is the person that had a perfect season. Yeah. What year was that? Must have been across 2016, 17, I think. And do you remember how many races she won? I think she wore 17 in a row. I think row? it was 17 in 17 a row. 17 in a row. 17 on a bounce. Like that. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty I, sure I, yeah. I'd say, yeah, it rings a bell. World Cup and World Champs. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Is that right? I yeah, yeah I don't know. Be. Without I'm getting sure into it is. the yeah, depth, wouldn't of be enough. But, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, right? Incredible. Yeah. I mean, she's sort of someone who you know dominated mountain biking for so long, downhill mountain biking for for many many years. Yeah, she's done it for God. She's done it for ages. Well, I mean, since early two thousands, wasn't she? She must have had her first World Cup races as a junior. Yeah, yeah. and then come through and then just yeah dominated. Mm. I mean, how many how many world titles? She must have been on like at least five, six world champs. I think she's six times world champion and forty races. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what a start to the year and what what an iconic moment. Mm. Yeah, it was a big bang to the start of the year. Like, everyone looks forward to the first race of the year. Like, people on new teams, people on new kits, people mm. got new bikes. But then Rachel, after coming back, it added something a little bit extra to the World Cup just to see, oh, where would she stack up? How would she fit in, you know? Yeah. Was she going to take this seriously? And she clearly did. Mm-hmm. I guess people who maybe sort of haven't followed the Daniel quite so closely are probably going to be wondering why she only did one or two of the races this season. Is there a... Um, from just going off her um, social social media and stuff, it sounds like, um, she was fit, but not as fit as maybe she felt like she needed to be, to be competing week in, week out. Consistent. Yeah, exactly. And because of the risks involved, the new format, so you're actually going to have to do more race runs. It's a lot more tiring on the body and, you know, she's racing there. And she's got a daughter with her. Mm. She's still trying to, you know, look after a daughter in between racing. And mm-hmm. um, it's a hell of a lot to take on. And, and she made the smart decision to kind of rest up. And she didn't race Val de Sole, waited to come back at Fort Williams. So she was selected for the, the Great British team. But sadly there, she managed to dislocate her shoulder, landing a jump. Mm. Um, she still raced. She still did really well. And I think if that was her only race of the year, everyone would have gone, fair play. That was immense. But um, because she'd already gone out and, and won, I think there was probably a bit more pressure on her shoulders. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, when she set a benchmark like that, you know, and giving her history, it was uh, kind of, oh, what, what could Rachel do? What could Rachel do if she turns up on form? Like, do yeah. we need to watch out? I, I really hope she doesn't retire. Mm-hmm. I really would love to see her come back again next year or even the year after, whenever she's ready. But I don't blame her if she does. Yeah. Got nothing to prove. God no. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Well, should we move on to like another? You know, obviously our, our list is littered with with downhill events to, to some extent because obviously downhill is such an exciting bit of the sport and we all love watching it. And you guys have both raced it to, you know, a far higher level than maybe some would expect. I don't know. You guys have been pretty pretty on it with the old racing. Um, some more than others. Some more than others. <laughs> the one that always we turned up. up. <laughs> we turned up. <laughs> I mean, look at this. We did always turn up. That was a problem. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never turned up. So, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> the one that always sort of stuck in my mind, I'm, I'm going to go off off script here, off off order. Oh, God. So I apologize for that. Oh, God. Um, it has to be Danny Hart, Champry in 2011. You didn't like, even put your hand up. I didn't put my hand <laughs> up. I just went straight in. Just messed it all up. But that race, <laughs> like, absolutely. I remember watching that in a room in France with, I think there was about 15 of us. And it was a horror. We'd all been riding for the day and it was cold. It was wet. We had a fire going and we sort of came down to watch this race. And Danny came down and like the room, like the atmosphere was electric anyway. And then as soon as sort of he started like getting the time, you know, bigger and bigger gaps, like we were in absolute bits. Yeah, it was an amazing run. Like hands down, so impressive, like dominated everyone. Mm. Like no one got close to it. In terrible conditions. Yeah. In the worst conditions on the hill. 
like I think he put 16 seconds into Sam Hill, who mm. was the current world champion. You know, it's like absolutely crazy, crazy run. And Sam Hill had an incredible track record at that track. Well, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. That's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, then, you. I saw you earlier looking at the split times, Luke, because um, Aaron Gwynn, who's multiple uh, World Cup overall champ, has still never won a rainbow jersey. But... I think a lot of people thought that year might be his year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, Danny Hart's victory was so big in the end, it's kind of overshadowed a bit what Aaron Gwynn did that weekend as well. Yeah. But Aaron Gwynn won qualifying by five seconds. Danny was second place. And in, I think, looking at the split times, in Aaron Gwynn's run, he was like second at the first split behind Danny, but had a crash in the middle, but then regained like to second at the at the um, final split. Mm -hmm. But it dropped him, like his crash dropped him 20 seconds down the order. Because he still had a few first place splits, didn't he, on his way down before he had that crash? And I think he was second right? at the start and uh, second at the bottom okay. and had like a 20th place middle split. But so, it, but you don't know what would have happened in that long yeah. middle split, if you know what I mean. But um, but yeah, Aaron Gwynn possibly could have upset Danny Hart, but yeah. at the end of the day, Danny was the one that kept it rubber side down just about. There's a lot of times in that race run where you can see on the live broadcast that nearly that he nearly wiped yeah. out like Aaron Gwynn did. And but, Rob um, Warner and Nigel Page in the commentary back in uh, the free cast. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that almost cemented Rob Warner as, as like the voice of downhill, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, back then you could say maybe it was a bit less professional. Yeah, yeah bit more boozing in the booth yeah uh some of the lines that came out would still sort of resonate today yeah yeah and i think uh nigel page probably had a couple of drinks as well mm -hmm. just to help lubricate his voice um but they were very vocal in uh cheering danny on oh yeah yeah a bit of uh biased commentary so <laughs> BBC, uh, <laughs> bbc commentary was it <laughs> But again it's part of what's probably made that moment in particular yeah, stick totally. in our heads right yeah but they I were saw... watching an incredible performance, you know. You're bound to get excited, like you 100%. said, the guys in your room, whatever were. Yeah, yeah. I still watch it now, and I will watch that at least once or twice a year, and still get like goose goosebumps. It's not just because of the run; it's because of like the atmosphere, the whole sort of story behind it, and and the whole the commentary of it as well. It was so exciting, it was and, unreal. And and the whip at the bottom, yeah, on those massive jumps, and he's fully sideways in the pissing rain, and you're like. Land on him, go <laughs> and just keep going. Win, don't don't mess around. Oh, but he won by eleven seconds. Yeah. Do you remember who he beat? No. Oh, you know you. I know. I, I was. Uh, go I was on, beat. Man, his misery. Yeah. Damien Spagnolo. Yeah. Wow. Fabian Burrell's protege. Really? Yeah. And they. they but Brendan Fairclough was fourth. Brendan was fourth. Yeah, because Blinky he... was third. Yes. Because G had won there before, right? G's won there in Champery. Brennan's qualified high in Champery before. And this brings us on nicely to another moment. Mm. Sam Hill winning. No, sorry, not winning. Getting third. Sam, yeah, Sam getting Hill third. Getting Sorry, third. I got carried away there. Oof. I wanted him to win. No one's been so excited about, well, I don't think he was very excited, but the rest of the cycling community you know, have been so excited for third place ever, I don't think. Because it's quite an interesting story. Do you want to tell us how it unfolded? Well, yeah, so it was the first time they went to Champery, um, 2007, second World Cup of the year, and typical Swiss mountains, unpredictable weather. Um, 
the weather had been pretty sunny most of the weekends, but I think they'd had afternoon showers late in the afternoon. And some of the riders then predicted this might happen on race day. Mm -hmm. So stopped on their qualifying runs to pause a little bit to make sure they qualified badly. I, Matti Lahaikinen, Lahaikinen, sorry, how you pronounce that. Get my uh, <laughs> disclaimer in there early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, who ended up winning the race. Um, but yeah, paused in qualifying run, came down early, avoided the rain. But then torrential rain, downpour, midway through the finals for the men and turned what was possibly and probably ever was the hardest downhill race course that's mm -hmm. existed so far into just a mud bath. Right. I mean, it looked like it was verging on rider, but you got some of the best racers in the world coming down with their goggles hanging off their handlebars, with their feet clipped out, just barely able to ride, barely wow. able to get down. And and I don't think anyone that came down in the rain even thought they could be competitive. Is that no, fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the next best person was Michael Pascal, came down like 30 seconds behind Sam, ended up in 29th or something like that. Right. That <laughs> was the next best person was 30 seconds slower than Sam yeah. Hill's run in the wet. And then Hill set out. It turns out he has a massive crash, mm -hmm. slides down a, 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 the slope that's kind of out in front of him, but his bike stays back up there, runs back up, gets his bike, and then puts together one of the most iconic runs of all time to finish in third place. He doesn't think, like you said, doesn't think it's a big deal. Everyone else around in the finish line has just stood there with their mouths open and just can't believe what they've seen. Yeah. Someone properly school everyone yeah on how to ride down a mountain in the rain but what's amazing about this race is so this was the year before there was any live broadcast for downhill so very few people would have got to seen that live mm. you know so it didn't have that dramatic atmosphere for mm -hmm. everyone else that we had to wait for the dvds to come out so alex rankin at earth i right. did a great clip of how horrible that trail was yeah and how steep and gnarly and the crashes there were all throughout practice and then Clay Porter. Three minute gaps. No, it was first, I think. Was it first? Or first, yeah. Um, did a great story about like, so, But it's kind of those two things have immortalized how good that was, or how impressive that was without even being there. You know what I mean? Without having the atmosphere and people have just gone, wow, this is literally mm. one of the greatest rides of all time. Which I think the commentator said at the bottom, didn't he? Which undoubtedly it was. Because Jonesy was there, wasn't he? Steve Jones. Yeah. Our mate from formerly Dirt, now EMBN. And... I mean, he is a massive fan of racing and, and a massive fan of Sam Hill. And he just, he was gobsmacked. He couldn't believe mm. what he'd seen, which is, you know, which is why it's obviously gone down in history as it has. Want to get onto YouTube later on for me, I think. <laughs> do I it, yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, get onto Earth, uh, Law Fives, the fifth. Yeah, yeah, fifth I think one. Earth yeah. Five, whatever the name okay. was. And, uh, and then first, Cliff Water section first for it. Right. I'll get on it. Get on it. What's next, Rob? Well... Maybe we need to go from downhill, switch it up a bit. Um, I know you're really keen to talk about a certain Scottish trials rider. Danny Mack. So is this is this to do with the Inspired Bikes video he did? Is that right? Yeah, like I just remember like the original Inspired Bikes video that sort of blew up. I know it wasn't his maybe his first ever little clip, but it was really the one that sort of captured captured him and sort of promoted him to what is now like an absolute global superstar of, yeah. of not just mountain bikers, but the general public like a lot of you know my parents have seen danny mack you know, 
just it was just this sort of like home shot ish, semi professionally shot film of him riding around Edinburgh, which is where he was living at the time. I'd sort of spent a bit of time in Edinburgh, so I kind of knew all the different spots and all that sort of stuff. And it was just a really cool moment to see like this British guy doing this sport that, you know, like there'd been famous trials riders in the past, but I think he hit that YouTube generational like it's kind of the growth, sweet spot, right? You know, like yeah. really did hit it right at the right time. And I just remember watching it when it first came out and being like, shit, that was cool, like really cool. And then just seeing like those numbers grow more and more people like being like oh have you seen this or sharing it on facebook as it was back then and like over and over and over and then just seeing the the millions of views that that video sort of racked up and then seeing him pop up in other places then seeing him get bigger sponsorship deals and bigger and bigger and bigger until you know all his you know classic classic films that he's brought out in recent you know more recent years and i just remember sort of watching it and just thinking that's like he took trials to another level for me well i mean he did some epic moves in that film. oh unreal like that the one where he rides along the fence, like that fence. spiky fence. Thing. Yeah. Oh, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Why would you do oh that? Oh my yeah. god! Why? And like the make, I saw a little making of it. Like that took him like sixty or seventy goes or something oh. wild like that. And you just sort of keep seeing him crashing, like the bike getting hung up on its rope, and you just like you know like about to get speared in the groin mm. by a big spiky fence. Yeah. No thanks. But I remember that that came out um, in what was it two thousand two thousand nine I think two thousand eight mm. two thousand nine. But yeah. I'd been in Edinburgh quite a lot in sort of. 2007 2008 and i remember like just cycling around and i'd sort of had this vague sort of idea of possibly who he might have been but i remember just seeing this guy like hopping between traffic islands one day when i was just riding my <laughs> riding my bike around and it was danny mack and it was like in edinburgh and i was like a oh, proper like fan moment it's it like super cool it's a great soundtrack on that video as well. yeah yeah band yeah. of horses is that yeah. right yeah really good you know he's just gone on to like blow the world apart really but that really yeah you're right that was like a genuinely sort of pivotal mm. moment in his career i guess and and i think in terms of mountain biking in in the general because it hit that you you know when youtube was really kicking off like mm. you know the ashtons never had that really because youtube wasn't a thing apart from his road bike yeah martin's yeah, road, road bike, bike party yeah one and two obviously blew up and went massive yeah but yeah but yeah, but it paved the way for a lot of people to become content creators in mountain biking, if you know what yeah. I mean. Mm. It, it opened up the door for what was possible if you wanted to go out and film clips. And Yeah, totally. Like he was a real pioneer mm. in that, so fair play to him. Yeah, yeah, it was like a totally different way to make money in the sport if you were into it. And I guess also it sort of promoted it cut media to sort of massive things now in filmmaking and, and not just bikes, like they work across all sorts of industries now and they make, you know, Imaginate, for example, like, an incredible piece of filmmaking, right? Well, yeah. So Stu, who started that, it started as MTB Cut MTB originally. Cut, yeah. And it was lots of little videos, I think, sort of 2007 and eight. Stu was going out and just kind of filming mm -hmm. bits and pieces himself. And then he was obviously good mates with Danny Mac. And I guess that's where that sort of relationship yeah. came from. And yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's incredible to see Danny do everything he's done but like luke said you know you're also seeing other people go down a different route mm. and and have success in other areas and you know Stu was an incredible racer mm -hmm. you know podium world cup rider mm. um and then to see him right up there doing something completely different but still within bikes is so cool yeah yeah I mean, Joe Barnes used to race for Cut, didn't he? There's like a race team. He did. He's another one and of my Cathro. favorite little... And Cathro. Yeah. Joe Barnes is one of my favorite, like, content creators. Like, I know he maybe hasn't quite hit, like, the heights of Danny Mack in some respects, but, like, he's cool. Like, he's funny and he's lovely. And all lovely guys. It's, yeah. 
Yeah. Incredibly original. Joe yeah. Barnes on his content is amazing. Yeah. Like so creative. Loves fish fingers as well. Yeah. Who does, doesn't? Yeah. Fish and <laughs> chips. Doesn't. His fish and chips. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, from trials, how about we go to cross country? Yeah. So it's been a while. We well, as Brits, we haven't exactly had the most luck with the old cross country racing. But we had a certain young lady do rather well in 2021. Mm -hmm. Where was it, Luke? Because I got it wrong. <laughs> Val de Sole. Val de Sole, yeah, in Italy. Yeah, not what I've written down originally. Forget what I said. <laughs> um, what'd she do? Evie Richards won the 2021 XCO World Championships. And is that our first gold medal? First. In elite? Yeah. First ever gold medal in cross World Championships for cross country. Pretty in good Britain. stuff, huh? Oh, amazing. Yeah. And it was a dominating performance as well. Like, and she had a bit more success that year as well, right? Yeah, yeah. She well, After that, she won the last two World Cup races in Lenzerheide yeah. and in Snowshoe at the end of the year. So just had a really strong end of the season, like mm -hmm. backed it up. It wasn't a fluke result, if you know yeah. what I mean. It came out and backed the result up. But I guess um, it's on our list because it was a first mm. and it was incredible to see, you know, she's someone who's been mentored by the famous Tracy Mosley and clearly works ridiculously hard mm. at what she does so to see her succeed on such a big stage was just immense yeah and really really cool uh, and and kind of brings us on nicely to another little cross-country one tom pidcock tom pidcock the little the the road sensation yeah who's also a mountain bike sensation this guy is what a legend and a like, cyclocross sensation cyclocross yeah. sensation yeah he does how many world champs has he got how many titles does he have it must be i mean how old he's, he's only like 25 or something isn't he? and he's won like eight or nine world championships across like, different things so he's got the e-bike as, well. e as well oh yeah he won that e-bike xc thing god knows how many cyclocross yeah no. such a talent busy man busy man busy man <laughs> but not good at sitting still no 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 but great at pedaling but what did he do to him what stands out well so he obviously he won um olympic gold in paris 2020 oh sorry tokyo 2021 fast forward, um, fast forward. <laughs> is this a premonition <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wonder why your crystal ball was out <laughs> put it away <laughs> yeah he won olympic gold uh in tokyo which you know is that in terms of I guess for like mountain bikers and cyclists, maybe the, the Olympics is a big deal, but it's not like the biggest deal ever. Yeah. Like it's a big deal, but it's not the biggest deal, as I just said. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I think like in is terms it? of is it is it no no no, 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 no I'm not going to say it again. What size deal, Tom? It's a medium. No, no, it's a big deal. But it is a massive deal. But I think why it's so important is that in t the, the Olympics is globally such a massive deal so it's, <laughs> it's generally deal related and if you're wondering on the size uh if we had a sliding scale it would be towards the end of big slash massive i well, think that's you know what do you mean it's, it's, the olympics is so important because it's, it's heavily recognized right and everyone knows what it is and like you know i will i watch you know i'll watch lawn bowls at the olympics because it's the olympics right so imagine how many people are watching cycling because it's the olympics you know so for us to have a brit in on, in gold oh it's epic insane so great i probably said epic as many times as you said big deal <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I think the nice thing about the Peacock story is that not only is he like this bit of mountain bike sensation, like he's also pulling viewers over to mountain biking from the road world yep. because he's so like revered in the road world from both his cyclocross, from the one day classics, from his performances in the Grand Tours. Like, oh, you know, was it was it when he came down? Um, to the Galibier descended? Oh, one of the massive. Before, or whatever before it was. he climbed, because he, it was, it was. It was one of them into Alpe d'Huez, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Because that's where he won. It's just he had to make up a minute on the descent, and he just did it with unreal style and skill. Just the, one of the most insane bits of cycling, ducking in watch. and out of the motorbikes, the camera yeah. motorbikes, and then going on to absolutely smoke everyone up Alpe d'Huez, which is pretty nails. Well, yeah, it's pretty big deal. Yeah, is Alpe the uh, isn't it? the race you want to win, isn't it? The Tour de France, yes. like the stage yeah. you want to win, I guess. Or as Thomas says, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, that stage. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like this is I think this is why Food got such like an important thing in, in recent mountain bike history in Britain is he's bridged the gap between flat bars and road bars. He's drawing audiences in from all over the place and he's sort of really showcasing what British mountain bikers can do. And like yeah. he's confident with it as well. Like he's got this personality where he wants to go and do more and more. He's like, he's not shy. You know, a lot of the a lot of people who ride in the tour. You know, they have a mountain bike background because they've been drawn to the road for the money, all that sort mm. of things. But he's saying, no, 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 like, I want a mountain bike, you know. Sagan's similar. And he puts the effort in as well. He does yeah. all the testing. He he, go, he jumps through all the hoops that the other cross-country riders do as well, uh, alongside balancing the fact that he needs to train mm. to compete in the Tour de France, which yeah. seems kind of crazy. Yeah. But his performances are even more impressive because because he does has a road career as well doesn't get to do all the mountain bike races yeah. so his start rows like in the olympics he was fourth row start yeah the yeah. world championships he won this year at Glen Tress. it was like okay got promoted to 30th might have been a bit further back but yeah. again like third fourth well, then, row start it's, it's against it the odds are against yeah he um, before he's, that i forget where it was but like he got called up to do the was it the short track? the short track like he'd done a, a five hour minute. ride hadn't he? he'd done a five, five hour ride he got like or oh, someone dropped out from the top 30 whatever so he got called in to do it you see him like moseying up to the back of the pack and then, like, he sort of just sprints off and and, and wins it. And, like, it's, the guy's a machine. You wouldn't want to be, like... Can you imagine if you've been a pro XC racer for years and you know, this is what you focus on your whole life, and then this little kid comes in, he's, like, just come off the Tour de France, and then he just smokes you. You'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing yeah. in my life? <laughs> but I guess, I guess like, like Pidcock, um, Evie is another one where... Not only is her performance incredible, but it's also kind of what it means to the wider audience. Mm. She's out there doing that, showing that any woman, yeah. girl can go out and do the same. Yeah. And, you know, as a country, we've kind of lacked that for a while. Yeah. You know, we've we've had it on the downhill side for sure, but maybe haven't had quite as many. We certainly haven't had the spotlight on us mm. as much because while we've had the likes of Annie last, you know, chipping away. Mm. She maybe hasn't had the same sort of success. Therefore, she doesn't get the same sort of yeah. attention. So for Evie to do that and and kind of show it and, and broaden those horizons for any sort of female fans out there, yeah. it's massive. And she's a great ambassador as well. You see, there's always photos, you know, not taken by her or promoted by her, but of her like chatting to the fans, signing things, speaking to, you know, like young girls by the track sort of thing, having a word with them, just sort yeah. of really like promoting the sport and saying, you know, you can come and do this. She loves it. It's great. And she'll rock up to local races as well. Yeah. Not smoke everyone, but she'll rock <laughs> up there, you know, and just like show her face and get involved in the local scene. Like yeah. she's a real, yeah. Those two, I think, are changing the face of, you know, mountain biking in Britain from the cross country side of things. Hundred percent, right? And now I'm going to change, change tack, 
Exactly. Right. So I know you two aren't the biggest slope style fans, but I still think it's pretty significant that uh, Brandon Semenek, who is just, I guess he's kind of like the goat of freestyle. Mm. He is a big deal. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's straight from Louis. Yeah. Um, Don't mince your words. He's, you know, he's he's won he's won Rampage like three three times, I think. Yeah, I think no so. one else has done that. Mm -hmm. And um, back in what year? Let me check. Twenty twenty one. He came in and he was the first to use a single crown fork. So rather than doing all the I say regular stuff is still absolutely kind of out of this world, but rather than doing the standard whips, flips, spins, and all of that stuff, he wants to start letting go of his handlebars and spinning them around while he's also spinning and doing tail whips off a cliff. And, you know, what, like we were talking about before, it's kind of, it's computer game stuff. Mm. We're talking sort of out of body. This is insane. How on earth is anyone thinking that this is a good idea? Yet here he is. And then, you know, the year after that, you've got Brett Reader kind of doing the same. So he's, he's by doing that, he's just, you know, shifting that bar mm -hmm. further and further up. The expectation on everyone is Making changing. everyone else push their game a little bit, learn new skills. Exactly. So, I mean, it maybe doesn't have the same impact on the wider community, but when, you know, Rampage is such a, such a big deal that it would get shared everywhere outside of the sport and so when they see stuff like this it's just insane that mm -hmm. i mean okay that's the snapshot of mountain biking that a lot of people will associate with what we do and it, it could be more different <laughs> can be further <laughs> yeah. from the truth right As but, I say, it has a good like reach to the general public like it's yeah, so totally. insane what they do anyone can look at it and go that's like unworldly why are mm. you doing that like that is impressive as well sometimes you can watch racing and it's like i just don't quite get it yeah I suppose um, by riding like he does and, you know, doing what he did in 2021, Semenek has upped the level and made it even more shareable, even more watchable for the wider audience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's pushed that level further. He's made it more appealing for people outside of the sport, which is just an incredible thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Good, great, good. I'm glad Ram we agree. Rampage is just nuts in general. Like anyone watching Rampage, I think would just think it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, don't, don't understand it. Don't understand it. No, no. Mind, mind blown every year. Okay, guys, one final one. Okay, would can anyone name a bit of the bike you don't need if you go racing oh. that you could just do without but still succeed? Not, not important. Yeah, yeah. Not a key part of the mechanics of a bike. Yeah. Some might say you know the drive yeah something to make you go forward yeah but when you're racing it doesn't really matter because you're just chilling right yeah yeah what could it be who could we be talking about could this be aaron Gwynn's chainless runner was it leo gang it was indeed there we go i'm not going to try and remember the year but 2015 2015 okay and what's crazy it's not the steepest track now of all the tracks you'd have thought I'm going to need a chain on. Lear Gang's probably the one back in those days that you'd think mm. that is uh, compulsory. And where did he lose it, Luke? Oh, right at the start. Oh. <laughs> First, second oh, pedal stroke. Bang, bang, <laughs> gone. That's it. Whole run, no chain. But I mean, just the mentality not to give up. Well, he's probably yeah. come out the start and gone, whoa, my training's paid off. 
Yeah. I'm in great form. <laughs> Here we go. Look how strong I am. Didn't need that anyway. See ya. <laughs> but just to go, oh, snap. Oh, no. Like, what can I do? Like, the run's over. Like, I'm never going to get a mm. hop result. But just didn't. You just go, oh, right, truck on, keep going. Probably better tuck a bit. Better tuck a bit. Suspension probably worked pretty well. Yeah. Imagine so. I bet his bike was nice and quiet. Yeah, no chain, no worries. Yeah. I guess like with this run, obviously like the result was pretty mind-blowing. But again, it comes back to that Danny Hart, Champ 2011, the commentary went, that went with it. Of mm. like, you know, like the, the initial like, oh, he's, what's happened? It's all person? over. It's all over. Yeah. And then like, then it goes green. And you, you know, like again, that hype what? just builds and <laughs> yeah. builds and builds. And you get sucked into how like incredible it is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that sort of tearjerker when PT won mm. Worlds in 2009, which was just that sort of clearly the weight off his shoulders. Finally crossed the finish line. Greg Minner couldn't match his time. Mm. He'd finally, finally got those rainbow stripes. And I think everyone just breathed a massive sigh of relief. But everyone knew it was kind of coming. Yeah. There was a, a degree of expectation there. But to snap your chain mm. within a couple of meters of starting your race run, you're just like, well, he's done. This is over. Yeah. What's he going to do? Go now? and get a cup of tea. So I wait for the next guy to come on. See you later, Aaron. Bad luck. That's, oh, he's doing all right. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> he's turning it around. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know where you find the time. Like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that scratch their heads after that run going, Oh, what did we do? What did we do wrong? But didn't didn't? it didn't it spawn everyone trying to create some kind of like exactly yeah coast gear where you could Mm -hmm. stick it into a neutral so the chain had that they almost brought it to market right yeah right so they had like a essentially like a neutral gear whereby they wouldn't have any real effect on the suspension Mm. yeah Chris Porter turning the uh, the clutch off on his rear max. But, you know, but it, the, the thing with the, with Leo Gang was that it wasn't the only time that people have snapped chains and still done well. Like, I'm not going to try and reel off the results, but... Nico Mullally had a good Mulally, result with a snap chain. In Norway. In yeah, Norway, yeah. 2014 yeah, the year yeah. before, something like that. He was got third or something with no chain. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's sort of playing into Gwyn's mind when he sort fourth. of snaps his chain and he's like, you yeah, know, maybe it can happen. Yeah, because he, he, he was teammates with Nico. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Did that, you do any chainless racing back in the day? We did. We did. I don't think my times are much different. Your times are basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. But that explains <laughs> more. So, yeah, it sounds bad. No, I'm saying, like, it was a compliment. <laughs> he was going flat out. Just imagine what he would have done if he pedaled. <laughs> that was probably more the point. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is in your head, you just go, well, how can I do any of that stuff? Yeah. Did you hit that quarry gap at Kum Khan still with no chain? Because that's some going if you do. I don't remember. That's a massive jump. Right. That I think you always felt like you had to pedal into. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if you did it or I not. I don't but remember. No. I know some people did it without changing. You're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. I guess the thing is, when, you, when you're riding with no chain, you, you sort of focus on like the line choice, the pumping, the braking. You have to focus on all the other aspects of your riding so hard to mm. make sure that you're, making, you're kind of making up for the fact that you can't actually put any watts through the through the chain and through the drivetrain so you're sort of focusing super hard i you know i'm not a downhill racer i'm not a world cup racer you'd be surprised to hear but like it's a similar thing when you're riding bikes maybe like a single speed where you sort of or a harder where you're focusing so much on not having something that's mm. a real vital part of the thing that you actually end up riding a little bit better because of it so i've heard this r- before that danny hart will practice chainless yeah yeah we'll train in the winter without a chain save on drivetrain wow. wear 
Yeah, exactly, you know. Wow, there you go. There we go. What we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. Take our chains off at the top. Maybe on that bombshell. We should move on. We'll call it a day. We'll call it a day. <laughs> I think it's time to call it a day, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can carry on going, but maybe we'll turn the mics off for a bit. <laughs> Probably wise. All right, well, um, thanks ever so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with another MBUK podcast. Bye.